What's up, buddy? Welcome back to a preseason wisdom warm-up before season three of Hungry for Wisdom. This is How to Learn, and it is brought to you by Paul at Three Nails Bibles. Three Nails Bibles is where you go to get a new cover on your Bible, bring that thing back to life, because that's your baby, man. When you get a good Bible, it just fits your hand. You know your way around it. You can you know, take your, your hand with one swoop and turn exactly to the place you want. You got to you got to hang on to that thing. When the cover starts wearing out because, you know, you love the Word of God so much, you pursue it so hard that the, the cover just can't take the heat of your passion for the Word of God, give it to Paul. He'll bring it back to life for you, man. We're in the resurrection business. All right, Three Nails Bibles, go see them, look them up. Uh, this episode of How to Learn, I, I want to leave the, t- the the world of the tangible for a minute, and I want to get into the world of the... Um, speculative. I want to get into the world of the artistic, the subjective, because there's a lot of learning to do there. And as 21st century Westerners, we tend to think um, in terms of process and math, like we, we're interested in putting people on the moon, right? We're interested in things that are verifiable and, and testable and things like that. And so learning processes fall into that. We treat it like a science. But I want you to know something. Learning is something that is done by humans, at least in the context in which we're talking about it, right? And humans are not strictly data processing centers, you know? Um, We are people with questions and opinions that develop and change, and sometimes we're wrong, and sometimes we're right, and we don't know it, and then sometimes we're more right than we realize we are, and it takes wisdom to figure it out, you know? Like, there's all of these kind of subjective issues around learning that I just want to talk about a little bit. And I know this is going to get a little metaphysical probably, but, you know, hey, if you don't like that, turn it off now. Um, the, the basic statement that I'm going to make about how to learn here is that everything can teach you something. And if you just approach the world with that in mind, then you'll learn whether you try to or not, right? Everything can teach you something. A, a way that I think about it just for myself, I don't know if this will make sense to you, is everything makes a statement. Okay, everything makes a statement. So you can learn from something because you're looking at the statement that is being made and it's going to be new to you or it's going to be a challenge to you or it's going to be something that is agreeable to you or something that you already knew and you can interact with all of this information. So there's a worldview being communicated somehow in almost everything. It's not just books. It's not just podcasts, right? Think about movies. There's a worldview behind these movies. Uh, you know, you look at, um, I mean, I don't know, Ho- Hollywood is is just such a philosophical and moral and intellectual pile of crap right now that, you know, I hesitate to use them as an example, but it really is true. I mean, you can see the, the morals and the values and the worldview, at least in large swaths, in, in, you know, big picture of the people making the movies, the producers, the directors, you know, things like that. And sometimes it's really obvious. I mean, I remember when uh, when Russell Crowe was Noah. You guys, you guys ever see that, that Noah movie? And um, it was such an environmentalist manifesto that, um, you know, they weren't even trying to hide it in art. They weren't. There was nothing subtle about it. There was this one scene where, you know, Noah's off like fighting dudes and he's got to kill these guys because it's a rough time, man, because the ark is about to happen and the world's just all falling to pieces. And so he's got to kill these dudes. And then he comes over and Ham or whoever it is picks a flower and Noah kneels down and he gives him this really, you know, kind of gentle but stern speech about like, why did you kill that flower? 
did that flower need to die? And I'm like, dude, you just slaughtered two dudes, you know? So it's obvious what statement this movie's making. Nature is more valuable than people, and people got wiped off the earth because they mistreated nature. Okay, thanks, right? There's a worldview behind that. Now, that's true in all movies. Every, every movie makes a statement. It's true in music, you know, and not just in the lyrics of the music. That's, that's pretty easy to see. Okay, what is being propagated? What statement is being made by this song? Even if it's just an innocent love song, you know, I want to hold your hand. Well, that makes a statement, doesn't it? Boy plus girl equals joy and passion and desire, right? And that is something worth singing about and celebrating. We're celebrating romantic Love, puppy love butterflies, right? That's that's what that song is saying. It's making a statement. It's not a deep statement. It's not a meaningful one, really, but it's it's a fun one, you know? So it's okay. The um the, the statement being made though by lyrics is pretty easy to pinpoint. But music makes a statement. And look, yeah, I got a background in music, right? I'm a classically trained whatever, but it doesn't take a trained musician to be affected by the philosophical statement that music makes. I went to a uh, seminar one time. It was a, I, I was a music pastor. No, actually, I was interviewing to become a music pastor. And uh, they, they said, hey, since you're our candidate, this conference is happening. We'll just pay for you to go. Like, you know, why not? I was like, hey, thanks, man. So I go to this conference before I'm even, you know, on staff here. They just said, it'll be good for you regardless. And if you work for us someday, then it'll be good for us as well through you. So, all right. So I go to this thing. It was fine, I guess. It wasn't all that great. I go to one of the breakout sessions, and this guy teaching the breakout session made this statement that just made me honestly want to throw a desk at myself just to knock myself out so I didn't have to listen to his stupidity anymore. And he said, guys, it's not about the music. It's about the lyrics, right? Which, okay, so far, so good. We're in church. I get that. We're singing content. We're singing doctrine. Fine, I'm good with that. But then he's, he makes a statement. He says, a guitar solo never changed anybody's life. And I'm like... You have no clue the power that you're dealing with when you talk about instrumental music. Are you serious right now? There's a case to be made that World War I started over the right of string by Igor Stravinsky, which is an instrumental symphony. Now, obviously, World War I didn't start over a symphony, but that was one of the precipitating events when that debuted in Paris, and it started this, like, this, like, the explosion because some people were like, this is amazing. And some people were like, this is garbage. And by the way, the guys who said it was garbage, they were, they were correct. That side was right. But it was a clash of worldviews and not a single word was spoken. And that right there codified the two philosophical camps in Paris that ended up being the two ideas that squared off in, in world war one. Now I'm getting way off track here. I'll tell you more about that if you want to write in, but instrumental music is incredibly powerful. How? Because there's a statement being made. And you can analyze the statement. You can learn from the statement. Turns out, The Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky is a, um, a symphony, if you want to call it that. It's, it's barely music, to be honest. It's pretty bad. Um, but it's a symphony and a ballet. It's, it really is a ballet. It's not a symphony. But it's a ballet about a pagan fertility festival in ancient what we would now call Russia, right? Well, there's a statement being made when you show and then back up with music um, pagan sex rituals. And what you're doing is you're glorifying it. So the people in the audience certainly understood it that night. Now, 
closer to my generation, still before my time, but closer to my generation, you've got Eric Clapton, who plays with Cream, and they get up on stage live and they play Crossroads by Robert Johnson, which was written in the 20s, uh, and they play a rock and roll version in, I think it was 1968, and uh, the guitar solo, well, the two guitar solos by Eric Clapton when he played Crossroads, those guitar solos changed the world, and I, I kid you not, they changed the world, right? Um 67? No, let's see. If he was with Cream, that must have been 65. Wow. I was way off. Sorry. Anyway, it changed the world. And that is what inspired um, Eddie Van Halen. And before that, that's what, yeah, it must have been 65. That's what inspired the Beatles, you know, because Clapton played in such a way that people stopped and went, what just happened here? And boom, the rock and roll scene kind of takes off in a lot of ways. And the Western world is never the same. You know, I mean, honestly, rock and roll shaped so much of our culture that we don't give it enough enough uh, credit. And it was instrumental. It wasn't the lyrics. I went to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. I went to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. I was standing at the crossroads, believe I'm sinking down. <laughs> so what? Now, there's a whole other story behind what those lyrics actually mean, which is really fascinating. But uh, anyway, I digress. That guitar solo changed so many lives. I think the best example... Some of you music history buffs know where I'm going with this. Wait for it. Jimi Hendrix, Woodstock, 1969, The Star Spangled Banner. If you've never heard this, I want you to go on YouTube and I want you to type in Jimi Hendrix, Star Spangled Banner. Okay, J-I-M-I, Hendrix with an X at the end. Star Spangled Banner. It is unlistenable. It is so bad that... It's, it really does not qualify as music in 98% of it, okay? But it wasn't about the music, right? He was saying something there. It was the national anthem, and it was so distorted that he was making a statement at Woodstock in, at the height of the hippie generation saying, our country is distorted, right? Music made a statement. And so, and, and that, that really did change the world in a lot of ways. When he got up there and did that, it was, he was making a statement that nobody could unmake. That was a cultural moment. That was a flip. And then he went on the, the uh, I think it was the Dick Cavett show. This is just an interesting story. It has nothing to do with anything. He went on the Dick Cavett show, and uh, I, I think it was Dick Cavett. And he said, um, he, he said well, you know, um, many people uh, think that that was disrespectful. And Jimi Hendrix goes, hey, I served in the Air Force. I thought it was beautiful, you know? And the crowd cheered for him. Well, now you've got different philosophies surrounding what is objective beauty and to what degree is beauty objective versus subjective and all these things. Statements get made, guys. So when you watch a movie, ask, what's the worldview behind this? And then interact with it. Do you agree? Do you disagree? You know, I was um, I was sitting with my kids watching Ocean's Eleven and my, I think it was my oldest kid, he asked a really insightful question, especially for how young he was at the time. He said, Dad, who's the good guy in this movie? You know, like, isn't that a good question? He said, Dad, who's the good guy in this movie? And I thought about it and I thought, huh. So I said, you know, there are no good guys in this movie. This is just a bunch of bad guys not getting along. Well, that is something, you know, to do with the worldview. That that makes sense inside of the worldview of the people that wrote, directed, and starred in the movie. This was something that they could understand and get behind um, portraying, right? So when you watch movies, ask, what's the worldview behind this? And you will learn things. When you listen to music, ask, what's the worldview 
behind this? Everything makes a statement, right? What's the worldview behind this song, behind this album? You know, I, I was I remember when it hit me, and I think it was my music teacher that told me this, but it, it sunk in. Rock and roll was never about the music. It was about the sounds. That changed the way that I listened to all music from 1959 on, right? Not that I was there, but I mean, like anything after 1959, when Bill Haley and his comments came out with Rock Around the Clock, that, and actually maybe even before that with Chuck Berry, but um, anything written after that in, in the popular genres, except for jazz, big band stuff, it was not about the music, it was about the sounds. And any musical innovation was incidental. They were chasing the sounds, you know? Maybe I should do a podcast on music history. I don't know. Anyway, there's a philosophy behind all of this stuff. So look for that. And what you'll end up doing is you'll end up learning things that you never thought you had access to before. Or you never you never really knew where to look, right? Like learnable information will jump out at you from places that you didn't know it was hiding. And if you just ask the question, what statement is this making, right? A really simple way to do this is to ask why. If you just ask the question, why, all the time, which is what kids do, right? This is the kid move. If you just say, yeah, but why? Okay, why? Why are things like that? Why would he say that? Why would this musician do that? Why would he play that chord? That sounds a little bit odd. That's a little bit out of place. Why? You're going to get down to the root of some stuff, man, because there's always an answer, you know? And if you just incessantly ask why, you're going to learn things. So how do you learn? Pick apart the world around you, man. Everything makes a statement, and there's always a why. Okay? And when people do things in order to be random because there is no why, so they say, that in itself is a reason that they do it. What's that saying? There's a cultural philosophy there. There's a statement being made. Everything makes a statement, and so everything has something that we can interact with and we can learn.